Galatians chapter 3. Before this faith came, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law became our guardian to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Great to be here. All right. So the question is, how are we made righteous? How are we made righteous? Galatians is a book about righteousness, a big word meaning being like God doing the things God does, seeing the world how God sees it, loving like God loves. For many years, the people of God, the Jews, sought righteousness through obedience to the law. We know about the Ten Commandments. Well, there weren't just Ten Commandments. In the Mosaic Law, there were 613 commandments. It contains positive commandments, do this, and exactly 365 negative commandments. Don't do that. One for each day of the year. And now I will read each of them aloud. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the problem was the law wasn't designed to make people righteous. That's what Paul argues here, and he's right. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous before God. And faith actually produces righteous action. So Paul starts here by, by talking about the limitations of the law. So let's start reading together. If you have your Bibles, I'll start in verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So if we're jumping into the book of Galatians right here, we might be a little bit confused about what's being said exactly. Paul paints this picture of the law of Moses being like a prison. He says, we were held in custody under the law, locked up. Locked, locked up might be a strong word. Jail certainly has rules. There, there's no leeway in jail when it comes to challenging rules. But I think this metaphor actually works best when it's paired with the next metaphor Paul uses. He says, the law of Moses is like a guardian, or uh, a modern-day comparison is like a nanny or a personal tutor. It was there, uh, so we didn't act up, so we didn't get out of hand. Couldn't make us righteous, though. Paul wants us to think about the purpose and role of rules for, the, for a child. When it comes to following rules, I'm sure every child has felt the limits of their freedom having to do English homework when you'd rather play Skyrim, having to eat broccoli when you'd rather eat Cheetos, having to make up with your sibling when you'd rather never talk to them ever again. Rules have a purpose while a child is growing up, since naturally we don't know what's good for us. 
A loving par parent disciplines a child because, uh, yeah, because they want their child to grow up, to, to have self-discipline in their lives. Nobody is born wanting to floss. Usually it takes more than a few cavities to learn that real, uh, there, there is real maintenance work involved in keeping 30 teeth healthy in your mouth for the good part of a century. Parents want their kids to grow up into ha happy, healthy adults that are responsible and caring. That doesn't come naturally or easily. Um, but when you become an adult, you don't need a babysitter anymore. You don't need someone to remind you to pick your clothes up off the floor. I don't know, maybe you do, but the same principle applies with the law of Moses and coming to faith. Righteousness comes by faith rather than adherence to the law. This makes sense in the, um, in the wider context of the letter. Paul argues that the gospel is one of freedom, that Christians must live in step with the Holy Spirit and not by a dogmatic adherence to the, the law of Moses. The law is not for our salvation. It's only a placeholder until Christ comes, and Christ has come. And behind, behind the writing of this letter, uh, Paul references a, a zealous group of Jewish converts to Christianity who were traveling around educating the Gentile churches um, about the law of Moses and about circumcision, which was a marker of the Abrahamic covenant. And they were saying, now that you've accepted Jesus, follow Jesus by obeying the law of Moses and observing these Jewish ordinances, like circumcision. And Paul disagrees and says they couldn't be further from the truth. Paul disagrees. So what do we do with the law? What do we do with the, the Old Testament law? I think that a good place to start is the Westminster Confession of Faith. So the Westminster breaks down the law into three parts, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. Traditionally, Reformed theology teaches that the moral part of the law, like the, new, or like the Ten Commandments and, and those laws that are specifically reiterated in the New Testament, uh, those have permanent application, while the ceremonial and the civil laws or the aspects of the law pertaining to ceremonial, ceremonial cleanliness, festivals, and the like, they were applicable only during the Old Testament period. So, as a principle, when the Bible talks about the law being enduring, it makes sense to think about the moral aspects of the law as being enduring. And other times when the Bible talks about the law being superseded or replaced, it makes sense to think about the, the law of Moses as a unified whole being replaced. So the moral law is still, uh, the, they, they're still applicable. Um, so Paul seems to be saying here that the, the entirety, the unified whole of the law is, is being replaced. He says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law of Moses taken as a whole has served its purpose. We've grown up doesn't mean that murder isn't wrong anymore. It just means we probably don't need a law telling us that. It means that following the rule is, is it, it also means, excuse me, that following the rule is not sufficient for salvation because righteousness comes by faith rather than adherence to the law. So read in verse 24 again. He says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith, justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And he continues to talk about faith in verses 26 and 27. He says, so, Christ, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you 
who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. How does righteous action come? Paul answers that. Through faith, we receive a new identity, which shapes us. For those who are into philosophy, Paul is saying that we have made an ontological shift with deontological implications. Paul calls us children of God through faith and says that we've been baptized into Christ. So elsewhere, Paul talks about baptism this way. He says in Romans, don't you know that all of you were baptized into Christ? All of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. In the, in the waters of baptism, which represent God's judgments, remember, God impresses upon our bodies the truth and reality of our incorporation into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Baptism is the gospel in water. What happens in baptism? Baptism is God's pledge to us of our union with Christ. It's a sign and a seal of the benefits of that reality. Union, of course, meaning the church is now in coming marriage with Christ. Uh, for those who turn to Christ in faith, this union is for salvation. And I want to be clear that baptism does not equate to salvation. Uh, we need to turn to God in faith. And the, I think the passage makes this clear. Um, verse 26 says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. It's through faith that we're children of God, not through baptism. As a quick aside, over, over the recent years, I've had a, a paradigm shift of my own um, understanding of justification, a, a big change. Uh, for many years, here was the picture in my mind. I'm standing on trial before God, and God reviews my life. God looks at my heart, and seeing my heart uh, has been made righteous through faith, God declares that I can go free. Um, we're declared righteous in God's court because we are made righteous through faith in Christ. There it is. I'm righteous. I'm justified. The judge said it, and so there it is. However, in recent years, the picture has changed in my mind, and that's because of the doctrine of union with Christ. As many of you know, uh, and I just mentioned, union means marriage. And what do we declare in a marriage ceremony? We say that two people become one flesh. I don't think I was wrong about the courtroom setting, but now the image is not of me alone standing before God. We literally never stand trial before God alone. Christ is standing next to us, and God sees one flesh united through covenant. Justification is the magnificent benefit of being united to Christ, and because it's not a changed heart that makes you justified. Christ is our justification. It's a game changer. Now with baptism the, comes the remission of sins and yielding ourselves to God. And, and Paul assumes this. So Paul assumes that righteous action should flow out of our status as children of God and our union with Christ through baptism. He says, because you are united with Christ, you clothe yourselves with Christ. And if we put, pull that, that statement and put it into a present imperative, it might sound like this. Choose to wear God like clothes. I'm not talking about a WJD bracelet or an I am second uh, t-shirt or a t-shirt with your favorite verse on it. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, the Christian life as playing dress up. 
he says that smiling, or, or rather choosing to smile, actually makes you a happier person. It actually induces the mood of happiness. Um, in, in the same way, we put on the characteristics of Christ before they come naturally. If you're waiting for Christ to make you holy, well, keep waiting, but also play dress up. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Choose to wear God-like clothes. And I would say for that, I would say be careful to keep your life consistent. Uh, we should be careful about not just playing dress up on Sundays or while we're in public or uh, when we're talking to strangers. I think that we, we should not neglect, we should do the former without neglecting to, to wear God on the other six days while at home and with family. Um, however we clothe ourselves in Christ, we must realize it's, it's not just an outfit among many. It is our only outfit. It's not just a Red Sox jersey we pull out on game days. It's not like a suit we wear to work. It's more like Mandalorian armor, uh, a reference that Star Wars fans won't miss. Mandalorians wear a head-to-toe shield of armor, uh, which they call iron skin. It never comes off, and part of their creed is that no one must ever see uh, their armor or face shield off. It's a primary identity, a public identity, but most importantly, it's a, an identity that can't be removed. Like putting on clothes, living as children of God means making choices that reflect who we are. It means choosing to wear God. And why is that? Paul answers that in verse 28 and following. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. We get pairs of opposites here. We get Jews and Gentiles, slaves, free people, male, female, I'd say black, white people, gay, straight, American, immigrants, Red Sox fans, Yankees fans. The church is not something that erases your identity, but it's something that changes your primary identity. Where do these distinctions even stand in light of being called children of God? All who have been baptized into Christ are incorporated into him um, as the church, so that Christ becomes our primary identity. I'll say that again. All who've been baptized into Christ are incorporated into him as the church, so that Christ becomes our primary identity. All other boundary markers lose, lose their primacy, the first place significance. And to me, this has two implications. The first implication is made by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together. He says the community of Christians is not like a social club or an affiliation. It doesn't exist for its own sake, a community for community's sake alone. The basis of our life together is our shared life in Christ. We're each like petals, only connected to the reciprocal. So petals of a flower, only connected to, uh, by the reciprocal that holds us together, receptacle. If you remove the receptacle, it's like blowing a dandelion in the wind. So the church can't have clicks. Our fellowship can't be separated by age, by interest, by work, by politics, by any other marker of identity. The church is only one because of Christ's union with her, only because God made it so. So favoritism based on sexual, racial, ability-based, social, uh, economic, or any other differences are thieves of Christian life together. The second implication is, is that actually differences 
in ethnicity and gender can now be celebrated. Coming to Christ doesn't erase maleness or femaleness. Coming to Christ doesn't erase our particular racial or ethnic heritage. In fact, the picture that's painted of the new earth in Isaiah 60 talks about kings of the earth coming to visit the king in Jerusalem to pay tribute. Each of them brings pieces of their culture, those from Sheba bringing gold and incense, um, those from Kedar will bring their livestock, those from Lebanon will bring juniper, fir, and cypress to adorn the temple. I think of this almost like reversing the curse of Cain and Abel. God doesn't erase our culture, our history, but God claims us as his own, and that's the point. Verse 29 begins this way, if you belong to Christ, and, and we can stop there, we do belong to Christ. I think God loves human culture, not the way that it's tinged by sin, the way that water passed through coffee grounds is tinged by the coffee, but God loves the creative outgrowth of his creatures. God made us different, and he wants his kingdom to be colorful and wide and varied. The answer to how we are made righteous is clear. We're made righteous through faith in Jesus. And God brings us together in a community that is unified in Christ. Faith marries us to Christ so that we experience the benefits of the gospel. It involves a change in status to children of God in Christ. It involves a new outfit, God. It involves keeping Christ as the center of who we are and what we do. It involves transferring our ultimate allegiance and realizing that God makes a claim over our lives. All of that changes us slowly. Growing up in Christ does not mean throwing out the law, which reflects God's own wisdom for his people, but it also doesn't mean leaning on the law in a way to force it to do what it was never meant to do. The law was not designed to make people righteous. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous before God. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous before God. And Christ fulfills all righteousness, and we are united to him in his death and resurrection. Would you pray with me? Um, Lord, I thank you for these very powerful, very foundational truths about our identity in you as your children, as being in you, um, that we never stand alone before you. Um, I pray that you would use this um, to help bring about righteous action in our life um, and use, us, use it to shape our life together as a community. We pray this through Christ, our Lord. Amen.